Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. We are reaching the end of this gospel together. We will begin a study in First Peter uh, after after uh, on the first week, uh, the first day of worship in in the new year. Uh, I believe that will be January uh, the first, I think. Um, but uh, we'll begin First Peter then. Uh, next week we will finish Luke's gospel and the ascension of Christ. <clears throat> this is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Those are two big words, three big words. Holy meaning that it is sanctified, that it is holy and, and precious unto God. Uh, it is his uh, infallible word, meaning that it is powerful proving to be able to divide even to the marrow uh, of our souls. And it is inerrant. In other words, as God communicated his word through his apostles and prophets, indeed his word is true and without error. Let's hear, therefore, God's holy word, beginning in verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power. From on high. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray your blessing upon your word, and we pray that we would behold wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, on this Sunday morning, there are 9,000 people at Stonehenge, you know, that monolith of, of various stones on top of one another. Uh, there are 9,000 people today who will meet there, and they are looking for something. They are looking for a feeling, a confirmation of what they believe, a, something spiritual, something hopeful, something larger than themselves. Uh, meanwhile, billions of people will be at home, raking leaves, going to work, enjoying a day out. This is like this is a day like any other, and uh, there are myriads of others who will be in churches seeking a spiritual experience through what is observed or felt or tasted or touched, golden cups and snifters and smoke and incense, the tapestries and 
stained glass and heavenly voices and lofty speech and pomp and far more beautiful spaces even than this, though we are thankful for where we are. But there are fewer still who will go to church today because they believe what the Bible says. And I hope that you're here this morning, not looking for the expectation to be completed of all the other things, but rather that you are seeking to hear what the Bible says with an intent to believe it, with a heart predisposed through the inner work and the secret sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, enabling and equipping us to hear and to receive and to believe what we hear in God's word. Well, there have been a number of events that have taken place here in this passage as we approach that last period of time in which the Lord walked upon the earth. For 40 days he will walk and he will see and speak to and interact with his disciples. He will eat, he will sleep. There is, uh, he has greeted the, the, the women. Uh, you remember, on Sunday morning after the Sabbath was completed, on the third day, on the early morning, on the third day of Christ's uh, body being in the grave, the, 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 the rock was rolled back and Jesus stepped forth from the grave. The Son of God rose with power from the grave. And an angel sat upon the stone, rolled away, and waited for the women who came. And there was Mary Magdalene, and there was Joanna, and there, were, there was another Mary, and there were other individuals, women who were with him. And, and they were they had the privilege of being first at the grave, first to approach with the intent to, enable, uh, to equip the body of Christ with uh, spices and with perfumes in preparation for continued internment in that grave. But that angel spoke to these women and said, don't you remember, do you not remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that on after the three days in the grave, he would be raised uh, from the dead. Well, Jesus also spoke and he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He had also spoken to Peter. Uh, angels also spoke to Peter and John at the grave site. And there are others. There were two other disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they have decided that uh, life in Jerusalem has become so dangerous that they will return. I don't know what their motivation was. Perhaps it's that. Perhaps they wanted the comforts of home, but they are returning to their home to the south of Jerusalem, seven miles hence to Emmaus, and they are on that road. And Jesus has appeared to them and he has asked them, what are you discussing? And they had said, we had believed that, that, that the Messiah had come. We had hoped that he was the hope of Israel. And of course, Jesus, according to verse 16 of chapter 24, says that he was hidden from them. But then as he began to account for them and, and recount from the word of God who he was and what he had done and, and in what what purposes had been completed in fulfilling and providing for uh, the exact and precise fulfillment of Jesus Christ in fulfillment of Scripture as the Messiah of God. As he explained the Scriptures and he opened their eyes to see and to understand and they urged him to say, stay and to eat dinner with them, uh, their eyes were opened and they were able to see that it was Jesus Christ 
Their eyes were opened and they recognized him in verse 31 and he vanished from their sight. Well, at that point, they return. They return to Jerusalem. Their intention is to tell the eleven, which is uh, all the apostles, uh, with the exception of Judas. Judas has is now dead. Uh, he has betrayed the Lord. Uh, there, there are 11 without Thomas initially. Thomas will eventually be there when Jesus then approaches the disciples a second time in that upper room. But initially, the 11, as they are called, are there. Um, and the Lord Jesus enters into this room. Well, John chapter 20, verse 19, and that's where we find ourselves this week. John chapter 20, verse 19 tells us that the the outer door was locked. They had a concern for their safety. They were deeply concerned for their safety because Jesus had been put to death. And they were concerned that they were next. In fact, the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities intended to put Jesus, uh, his followers, uh, to death. They had evil intent and desires to squash out this movement. In fact, this is a question that they in their inner discussions will in fact consider. Should we not put to death, in subsequent chapters in the book of Acts, uh, his followers, and it is recommended that they do not, but rather that they flog them, imprison them, and then set them free with with, with the command not to say anything further. Well, the doors are locked. They're concerned for their lives. They're discussing with the two who have come back from that road to Emmaus, from their home in Emmaus. They have returned and they have said, the Lord is alive. He is, we have seen him. We were speaking with him on the road. We, we conversed with him. We invited him in to dinner. He broke the bread and then instantly we recognized him and then he was gone. But we have seen the Lord. Now at that point they have the testimony of multiple women. They have the testimony of Peter. That Peter and John have gone to see the empty grave clothes. And now these two disciples have seen the Lord. And they are still marveling and considering and thinking. And and all of a sudden, the Lord is present in the room with them. I'm not really worried about how that was brought to effect. The fact is that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is raised with a glorified body. Uh, The doors are simply, uh, they were locked, but whether they simply opened to get out of his way, he is the creator. He is the one who has made all things. Uh, we see the water uh, as he walks on that water. In an earlier event, uh, it simply obeys him and performs precisely what he has commanded it to do for those molecules to lock and to provide a walking surface. It's a glorious thing what, what he, who is the agent of creation, has brought to effect. Later on, Peter will be imprisoned, and as he walks toward locked gates, what happens? They, they simply open. Uh, I, I'm, I, I think Jesus simply bodily appeared in that room. I, I think that's the language of this passage. But if he simply went to the door and opened the door and walked in, even though it was locked, uh, frankly, I think that the door had to obey its creator, had to obey the eternal Son of God, as all of creation does. But there they are. The door is locked. And Jesus is instantaneously in there with them. They immediately are fearful. They think that uh, he is a spirit, and that's the language used here. They were startled. They were frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. 
It's an extraordinary thing. How would you feel, and certainly we can sympathize, if all of a sudden someone appeared in the room with us? Well, I'd be quite alarmed. Quite alarmed. I would be dubious. If it's someone that I longed to see, I'd, I'd be filled with joy. But I would think, this is too good to be true, and what just happened? Well, the disciples are there. They long to see Jesus. They have marveled. They have, they have heard the accounts of others who have seen Jesus. They have gone to that grave. They know these things to be true. But then to be confronted with his physical presence in a locked room, it's alarming. So certainly we can sympathize. They're startled. They're frightened. They thought that they were seeing a spirit. Luke tells us this. Luke, who is a physician, who understands the human psyche as well as the physical body, he says, they, 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 as I spoke with the, 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 those who were there, the first person recorders of this incident, physically present in the room, they said they thought they saw a spirit. In other words, an apparition. That in some way Jesus was beaming something of a resemblance of himself to them. They're uncertain as to what to do with this, what to make of this. And and Jesus says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? In their belief that they are seeing a spirit, there is something of a, the seeds of doubt that he could bodily appear, that he is, in fact, the everlasting God who can go where he wishes, do as he pleases. And so Jesus rebukes their unbelief and shows them how Scripture speaks of him. Well, as they're talking about these things, the first thing that Jesus says, this uh, not embodied spirit, but, but Jesus, who is who he is. He is, the hum- he is the great God-man, and he is present in that room with them. And the first words he speaks to them, A Rene Humen, peace to you. Peace to you. And it's similar from what we read in John chapter 14, when Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he is saying to them, as he, as, he, as he teaches and shares with them things that they are about to undergo, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You have believed in God, believe also in me. There is the tender mercy of Christ on display in this passage, the compassion of Christ, peace be to you. He is the God of all comfort. Rather than a harsh word about their fears and abandonment, in fact, he had just he had died three days previously. On Friday evening, he had been put to death, and he had died in that afternoon, that, that slash evening, his body interred in the grave. Who was there with him there before the cross? Who was there with him in his trials and They had all abandoned him. Peter and John did go to the outer uh, courtyard of the area at at Ananias or or, uh, Ananias' house, Caiaphas' house, that early morning trial in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus does not rebuke Peter. He does not rebuke each of them in turn. He, He does not say, where were you? He does not say, I rebuke you for your unbelief. He rather says, peace 
be to you. John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. For you and for me, in in human terms, peace is a a lack of trouble, the absence of trouble. Meaning I'm I'm, I'm having a trouble-free day. In other words, anything that inconveniences me or sand that gets into the gears of what I think is a well-oiled day. It's it's peace for me and for you is a lack of tears, a, a lack of complaint from others, a lack of contention, a lack of strife, a lack of trouble. But peace in God's economy is a right relationship with himself. The peace which Jesus gives is a right relationship with God an establishment of no further requirement nor expectation from God other than faith and trust in Christ. And Christ, through his substitutionary atonement, has brought to effect that peace. It is appropriate, it is right, it is declarative that the first thing that he says to them is, peace be with you. It is a peace which he has He has won for them because Jesus has brought to effect that peace that has been promised. He obtained that peace through his death. And so the first thing to troubled souls who are believing incorrectly, who are believing falteringly, who are struggling in their faith, who find it fantastic and beyond belief, who are filled with joy in the next subject or the next uh, the next uh, uh, sentence. They are filled with joy, but they are anxious and fearful, doubting, in fact. The first thing he wants them to understand is that peace, peace with God has been brought to effect by his death and his resurrection. I think at the very least we see here something of the greater capacity of Jesus for forgiveness than than we know. The, The love of God the Father and the love of God the Son and the love of God the Holy Spirit is on full display in forgiveness and understanding of the weakness of humanity. And there's an incredible series of confirmatory and accommodating, uh, both in words and in activities, that that will strengthen and help the disciples. And, And that, too, is here for us this morning in the subsequent section and recording of the conversation and actions that Jesus engages in. So Jesus confirms two things. He confirms first his true humanity, and then he confirms also his circumstances and the purpose of his death and resurrection. So let's look at first at Jesus and his confirmation of his true humanity as a very kind accommodation to the disciples' fears. If we all of a sudden saw someone, and, and we see many of these things on YouTube where, where service members return after a long deployment from overseas and they show up at their loved one's hospital or workplace or school and, and there they are in, in a box or around the corner or they spring out of the closet or open the door and there they are in their fatigues and, uh, and the loved one is immediately uh, shocked and amazed and they run into their arms Uh, In similar way, Jesus is there in their midst. And they understand that Jesus is their hope. They 
Their hopes were dashed when he was put to death on that cross. And they do not yet quite fully understand because they are struggling to believe. They are frightened and they are startled and they think they see a spirit. And Jesus even says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? There are doubts. They're troubled in spirit. Maybe they're thinking, how possibly could a body which was dead, which was put into the grave, into which was thrust a a spear with the intention of seeing whether or not death had actually occurred, and death, death did... His body has been prepared for the grave and and placed within a sealed grave. How could a body arise? How could the true and living Jesus Christ be present in our midst? The door was locked. Is this Jesus? And so Jesus takes steps and he says, look, look at my feet. Look at my hands. And he invites their touch. And he invites them to see and to take in with all of their senses the fact that he is real and true. And there's an interesting phrase that accompanies this. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. What does that mean? I I think it's kind of like when we see those videos that I've just mentioned. When people see someone, they're immediately taken aback and refuse to believe. You see... You see, the absence of someone most beloved leads us to to protect our emotions such that we don't let the emotions of our missing that individual, that person, come out or to be vulnerable. And so if we see someone that we think reminds us of the one whom we love and long to see soon, we might say, I I don't believe it. I, I, I can't take this in unless I'm absolutely certain that this is the right person. It's too good to be true. I, I can't believe this. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're rejoicing, but they're doubting still at the same time. Is this possible? This is impossible. Reason is, is fighting against faith, and, and, and there is a struggle. And so Jesus, accommodating himself to their weakness, says, See, touch, look. And I think there's one more accommodation that he makes for them as he confirms his true humanity. Give me something to eat. Does an apparition eat? No. So what we see here in this passage is that Jesus is confirming his true humanity. What does does his humanity mean to us as, as his people? What is the significance of the humanity of Jesus Christ? Let me say it in this simplest possible way that I possibly can. Humanity of Jesus, humanity equals representation, substitution, example, and sympathy. Humanity equals representation, substitution, example, and sympathy. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He was weary. He had emotion. Here is one man who, in representing all the elect of God, lived out obedience in that humanity, and he did so as our representative, as our substitute, as our example, as our redeemer. 
Ephesians 1 says a great deal about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in His beloved In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. For all united to him by faith, he has merited salvation, he has provided righteousness, and it is his righteousness. You know, this is the oft-rejected claim of the Bible and of Christians for millennia. Jesus wasn't really resurrected physically and bodily. What actually occurred was that he, he, there was simply a swoon in the grave and then he was able to step outside of that grave and come back and say, I, I really didn't die. Others have claimed that there is no possible way that the divine son of God could take and dwell in human flesh truly and really and then die. That somehow it was an indignity against divinity. Often it is rejected even by Muslims today. They are offended by the idea that God himself would take human flesh and then die in that flesh to redeem humanity. But the early church fathers had a phrase that went like this. He did not lose what he was, but began to be what he was not. He did not cease to possess his own nature, but he received what was ours. The Nicene Creed puts it this way, For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. Because Adam sinned, it was necessary that the Redeemer of humanity be himself human. You see, in our human condition of sinfulness and this morass of guilt before God, guilty before the Lord in our sins, it is necessary that we have a human redeemer, one who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, one who could offer in full humanity an offering of sacrifice that would assuage the wrath and curse of God and which would undergo the wrath of God on the cross in payment for sin and redeem us from our sins. It was necessary that our Redeemer be human. And so he was the seed of the woman. In Genesis 3.15, as God promised recourse for Adam and Eve after they had sinned, he said he will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. Jesus is the last true Adam. He is the the great man, uh, the great God-man who has come to take away the sins of the world. And it is through Him in that representative capacity that all who believe in Jesus Christ are reconciled to God. Think of that truth this morning. That all who believe in Jesus Christ, the great God-man, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Our substitution, our Redeemer, our Messiah, the eternal Son of God, 
made it like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. He alone is the one through whom we can be reconciled to God. He is the last true Adam. And we must believe in him. The second thing Jesus confirms, lastly too, he confirms the circumstances and the purpose of his death and resurrection. The disciples have been undone by these events. They have been undone by the fact that Jesus died and his body was buried. They have been undone because they had had hopes that his rule and his reign would be different. There was an expectation based upon their their own understanding of what Christ would do in his redemption of Israel and of themselves. And he reminds them. You remember the words that the angels shared with the women at the grave? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day to rise again. And so Jesus, in verse 45, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. He summarizes his ministry and calling as their savior. And there's a confirmation here yet again of of the importance of scripture for the Christian. We gravitate to the senses. We love to see, taste, touch, feel, hear. And yet Jesus is calling us to a rational understanding of the word of God. God calls us to be renewed in our minds. He he calls us to be of the spirit of Psalm 119, verse 8. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has come for. What his life has by way of meaning for you and for me. What you need to do is believe in him. It's all there in his word. And Jesus recounts for his disciples, it was necessary that I should suffer. It was necessary, and the Bible speaks of me, that I should be raised on the third day. And it was necessary so that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed. That remains the calling of the church. And we are equipped, as as the disciples were, with the coming of the Holy Spirit to do so. On the cross, dear friends, in conclusion, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered what your sin and mine deserve. What he suffered is what you and I deserve at the hands of a holy God. But on the cross, Christ suffered what what we deserved, but he suffered in our place as our substitute. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that Christ is coming again bodily? Or when he appears one day and you still being in the faith, will you look into the heavens and say with joy, I I, I cannot believe this to be true. This is too good to be true, much like the disciples did. Or will you say, my faith has hoped for and has rested on this reality that my Redeemer lives. And I shall see Him face to face. Are you trusting and hoping in Christ? Do you believe 
in the resurrection of the body. Because one day we will be resurrected, every body will be, uh, every grave will be unsealed, and everyone who has ever passed away or died on this earth will be raised from the molecules of that earth from which we were created, and we will all stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for I never knew you. But he will say to those on his right who have believed, who have been marked by the Lamb of God, who are trusting in Jesus Christ despite fears and doubts, despite, despite sins for which we have, been, we have received atonement, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my glory. Do you believe in the resurrection of the body? Our eternal hope depends utterly upon it. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks to you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to believe truly, really, that in the midst of the struggle of every day, in the midst of the realities of life and in the midst of all this that we sense and touch and taste and feel, we pray nevertheless that you would so renew and redeem our minds that we would believe that Jesus Christ lives today. And because he lives, we too shall live. Help us on that great day when we see our Savior come in the clouds, when all humanity and all of this world comes to an end a glorious end that will glorify our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would prepare us for that great day. Give us faith to see him and to know him as he is, to believe every day and to recognize anew each and every morning that Christ, who is alive and living and reigning and in session at the right hand of God, even now is in fact all of our hope and of our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.